0: turn to Genesis chapter 12 we'll be looking at verses 10 to 20 this morning Genesis chapter 12 verses 10 to 20 As we begin, I want to thank Pastor Jason for uh, introducing this new series that we are starting in the book of Genesis. Uh, I know that Jason, I listened to his message. He did a very good job and he uh, shared some good background information both on Abraham and the city of Ur where God called Abraham out of that city to go to this land that he was going to show him. And we are going to be looking at the life of Abraham as we talk about lessons in faith and challenges that he faced, but even more so, what we hope is that this enlarges our view of God, for these stories really are about God and his sovereignty, his power, his ability to do what is impossible. Uh, Last weekend, as many of you know, Gail and I were at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for our son Matt's graduation from seminary. And uh, that was really wonderful to see. Uh, It is uh, just a tremendous blessing to see your sons walking with the Lord and wanting to serve Him. And Matt and Deborah are going to take some time now that graduation is done to really pray about the next step. They have applied with Reach Global, the mission uh, agency in the Evangelical Free Church, and they are uh, looking at possibly doing church planting overseas in France. And so we just ask for your continued prayer for God's direction in their life as well. What was interesting is that at the graduation ceremony uh, last weekend, the text that the speaker was talking about was also Genesis twelve one to 5 the same passage that Pastor Jason was speaking on last week. So we're going to pick it up today, and we're going to look at verses 10 and following as we go along. And I'll read uh, from the text as we come to the appropriate parts. But let me just begin with prayer for this message. Father, as we come into your presence each day, we do not take for granted this wonderful gift of your word. It is such a rich treasure. For in your word, you show us not only the plan of salvation, but you tell us about yourself. About your wisdom, your power, your love, your awesome holiness and your desire that each of us come into a personal relationship with you. And I pray for those that are here this morning, Lord, if some have questions about that, where they stand in their relationship with you, that they would take that step to get to know you better and trust in Christ as their Savior and Lord. For those of us who do know you, you know the challenges that we are facing in life, and sometimes the way is hard, as we're going to be talking about this morning. And I pray that in those situations when life seems difficult, or maybe hasn't gone as we have planned, that we would learn to put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Abraham was a man of great faith, but he didn't become that immediately. Abraham grew in faith just like we are to grow in faith. I think that's a very important statement to make at the beginning, because sometimes we look at these characters in the Bible and we think, "Wow, I mean, they just, they just were incredible. How could they do that? You know, or how could they make those commitments that they did, or take those steps of faith?" And we need to understand that they were just like us. I mean, the writer of James, James shares in chapter five, for example, concerning Elijah, and he says that Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years, you know, and then he prayed that it would rain and then it did rain. And, you know, but the, the point of that text is he's saying he was just like us. He was a person who, choose, who chose to trust in God and God used him in a mighty way. But he had to learn faith, he had to grow in obedience, and so do We. And what we're going to see in Abraham's life is that he struggled along the way. He didn't just come to this point where when God asked him to sacrifice his son, that he could do that. Um, there is a long period of time in between, and there are these lessons in faith and challenges that he met along the way. And he made mistakes. He made some poor choices at times in his life. And I like that the Bible doesn't, you know, cover all of that up or kind of gloss that out, you know, and just present the good parts. It presents these individuals as real people who had strengths and weaknesses, who had moments of great triumph and faith, and who also had struggles and challenges. Because that's the way life is. And so if you are feeling that sometimes, like you have victories in your life, and other times where you just kick yourself and you go, why did I do that? You know, you can relate. That's where Abraham is, and we're going to see that today in this passage. Abram heard God's call, and he stepped out in faith and obedience, and then came this test of his faith. Pastor Kent Hughes calls this passage starting and stumbling, because that's really what he does. He starts out, and then he kind of stumbles. And the question that I'd like us to think about this morning is, what do we do when the way is hard? How do we respond when life doesn't go as we had planned or thought it should? Will we trust in God and his word? Well, let's take a look at verses 10 to 13. The Bible tells us that now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Now you notice in the text at this point in the story that Abraham is called Abram, and Sarah is called Sarai. And I'm going to use Abraham and Sarah because that's how we normally think of them. But this is before their names were changed by God and given in a new meaning and enriched meaning and we'll come to those passages as we work through the stories in his life but Abraham was being tested here his faith was being tested and what we see is when the way is hard it can be difficult to trust in God's promises Uh, it can be challenging for us and here in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12 God had given Abraham this great blessing you know, he said, Abraham, if you will follow me, if you will choose to trust in me, then I will make you into a great nation. Abraham had no children, no descendants. And God's saying, I'm going to give you many descendants. He said, I will make your name great. Well, that's exactly what the people wanted in the Tower of Babel. They wanted to have a great name, make a name for themselves. But they did it their way. And here God is saying to Abraham, I am going to make your name great. And I will bless you, and through you all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And it is this promise of a Savior, a seed of Abraham, a Savior that is going to come. It's through Abraham's line and his descendants that the Messiah will come. So this again is the start of God's rescue mission, His plan of salvation for the whole earth. It is the renewal of God's original blessing that He gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When he said to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, to rule over it and subdue it, God was giving to Adam and Eve this beautiful creation. And he was saying to them, you know, in fact, I will be your God and I will bless you. And you will multiply and fill the earth. And here again, now God is saying to Abraham that very same thing, that I will be your God and I will place you under my care and protection. That's a wonderful promise. He is saying, I will provide you with food. I will provide you with children. I will protect you. What we see in Genesis 1 to 11 in the first part of the, the, this book, though, is how there are threats to that blessing. Remember how sin entered into the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered in. And as a result of sin coming into the world, there were consequences. Having children would no longer be an easy thing. The woman would experience pain in childbirth. And providing our daily bread, our food, would no longer be an easy thing. There would be toil in our labor. There would be thorns and thistles in the ground. And there would be these challenges that come. And for Abraham, the threats to God's promises were these. I mean, Sarah was barren. Here you have these genealogies of people having children, you know, and and seeing the promise fulfilled as there's a legacy that's passed on. And all of a sudden, now we read that Sarah is barren. How's God going to overcome that? Abraham's father had just died. He was grieving. He had left his father and his family. His destination was unknown. He wasn't sure where God was going to lead him. He was simply asked to follow. He has no home. All of that has been left behind. When he gets into the land that God says is going to be his, he finds out that there are Canaanites in the land, pagans that are at least as bad as those living in Babylon, and there was a famine in the land. No food. And Abraham probably wondered, God, did I hear you correctly? I mean, is this really what you were saying? Here's this promise. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will place you under my care. And he comes into a strange land, and things are not what he had expected at all. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever wondered what God was doing in your life or why you're at the point where you are at? When I was in college, I felt God's call to ministry. I applied uh, to go on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was accepted to do that. And as you know, with any parachurch organization or mission agency, you need to raise your own support. You know, it's you can be accepted to work, but you have to go out now and contact individuals and do that work in terms of support development. Campus Crusade does a great job of training you and encouraging you when they send you out. I've shared this with many of our missionaries through the years too, this thought that stayed with me all those years, that the same God who calls you to ministry is the same God who's also going to put together your support team. And your job is just to share the vision, share the need, and get that word out, but trust God to put it on people's hearts to build your support team and your prayer base. And really, you know, when you put it in God's hands, it's a whole lot easier than when you try to take that on yourself. But there are still challenges that come with that. And I grew up on a farm near Warren, Minnesota, a small community of about 2,000 people in the northwest corner of the state. And the particular year when I came back at the end of that summer to raise support, uh, it wasn't a very good crop year. They were experiencing a drought, and it was going to be a poor harvest. But even worse was the fact that that fall the news had come out of of a scandal at our local elevator and we basically had one elevator in town and they had been keeping double books for some time and they had stolen 2 million dollars from the area farmers my dad lost money i lost money Uh, What they were doing was they would, you know, do things where they would take the grain that was brought in now and they had kind of encouraged you to, you know, hold on your payments and then they would give you more later and they would kind of play the futures market and things like that. And, you know, they were just keeping double books, though, and they were taking what other people made, uh, just like in these Ponzi schemes, things like that. They were taking other people's money to pay you and finally it caught up with them where they didn't have enough money to keep that going. And it came out, and that was devastating to people in that community. I mean, the owners of that elevator were friends, we thought, people that we could trust. And so here's this kind of cloud over the town and the community, and I'm coming back to that, and I'm going, God, is this really the best time to be raising support and contacting individuals in this time of uncertainty? God knows what he's doing. And when God takes you through tough times, you learn lessons in faith, and he really does get the glory when he accomplishes his purposes. Well, here's Abraham. He comes into the land, and there's a famine. What do you do when there's a famine? Well, here it tells us that he did what everybody else did in Canaan when there was a famine. You go down to Egypt. Why did they go to Egypt? Well, because of the Nile River in Egypt. Egypt was a little bit more immune to the devastation that a famine could bring. They would at least have some food there, so he just trucks on down. But there is no mention in the text that he consulted the Lord or prayed about this. In the first part of chapter 12, when we see him in the land of Canaan, there's two places at Shechem and Bethel where he builds an altar and he worships the Lord. Here there's no mention of that. And the commentators debate that. Was this the right thing for him to do or was this the wrong thing for him to do, to go down into Egypt? Because there were times when God did tell his people to go into Egypt, and other times when Egypt was the world and you weren't to go there. And most of the commentators feel that because of there being no mention of his asking the Lord what he should do and the consequences or the things that follow in this situation most of the commentators feel that he was acting on his own initiative here he was coming up with his plan of the way to solve this situation he relied on his own wisdom and don't we do that sometimes don't we just kind of we get in a jam and we press ahead and we think okay well this looks like the best thing to do and we go do it and we may not have asked the Lord God what do you want me to do Again, most of the commentators feel like Abraham should have either stayed in Canaan and trusted God to provide him with his daily bread or waited for God's direction on what to do next. And so here he is, he's going down to Egypt and he recognizes that there's another problem here. His wife, Sarah, is very beautiful. Now, Abraham is is 75 years old. Sarah is 65 years old. She really must have been very beautiful but this word also conveys the idea of regal or stately it's not just physical beauty in other words sometimes kings took women into their harem because of alliances that they were making or because somehow they thought this would benefit them in terms of prestige but they looked at Sarah and what Abraham feared would happen Well, Abraham came up with this idea to protect himself and to buy them a little bit more time. He said, When we go into Egypt, if they come and they want to take you, then say that you are my sister. Well, it was partly true. She was his half sister, but it wasn't the whole truth. She was his wife. It was deceptive, it was not the truth. And what we see in this text, secondly, is that when we rely on human solutions instead of trusting God, failure inevitably follows. Look at verses 14 to 16. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake and Abram acquired sheep and cattle male and female donkeys men servants and maid servants and camels. We'll stop there. When when Abraham came into Egypt things did not go as he planned. Here's what he's thinking. Under normal circumstances when a man was going to take a woman to be his wife they would negotiate with the father. If there's no father, they would negotiate with the brother. And so Abraham's thinking, you know, okay, at the worst case scenario here, okay, Pharaoh's going to see Sarah, he's going to want to take her, we'll have time to negotiate, and in that negotiating time, we can go back into Canaan and get out of here. And it'll be okay, you know, we've got this, this plan that's going on. But in Pharaoh, he met someone with whom there was no negotiating. What Pharaoh saw and wanted, he took. And he took Sarah into his harem. Abraham would profit financially. Pharaoh gave him these things of, you know, sheep and cattle and uh, men servants and maid servants and camels and all kinds of things. And he did profit financially, but a good cow didn't compare to a good wife. And here he is, you know, you can imagine him sitting in his tent alone. And he's probably thinking to himself in that tent, you know, now what went wrong here? (laughs) You know, I thought I had a plan. And now he has no land, he's got no children, and he's got no wife. And he's probably thinking, God, I have really made a mess of my life. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever made a decision without consulting God that got you in a difficult spot? And you're going, what have I done? You know, sometimes people grow up in the church as kids and then they walk away from God in those years when they leave high school. And they go the route of the prodigal son and they hit a point where later in life they go, what have I done? What have I done? And... We pray by the grace of God that just like the prodigal son, they will come to that point of repentance and come back to him. Sometimes Christians date and marry an unbeliever thinking that it won't be an issue. You know, we can work this out or my spouse will come to know the Lord and when it doesn't happen, there's real sorrow because you can't share that most important area of life. That spiritual bond and connection that is at the foundation of a good marriage. Sometimes people make a decision where they were in a situation, and normally they wouldn't do this, but they felt kind of trapped. They thought it was the only way out at the time and they just kind of made a decision whether it was a financial investment or a business deal or something and they didn't didn't pray about it or they didn't wait on God and His timing and it backfired. And they're going, God, what can I do? God wants to bring us to the point where we will trust Him in every situation in our life. And you know, I want to say the other side too. There are times when you can walk in obedience. You can do everything right as well. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems or challenges along the way. You can feel like you are being faithful, and you are being faithful. And yet there are trials that come to every one of us because God wants our faith to grow. God wants to bring us to that point where we will trust Him in every situation in life. And what Abraham would see in this text, and what hopefully we see too, is that God is bigger than our problems. That's the third point. God is bigger than our problems. The question that Abraham was struggling with is really this. Can God do what he has promised? Can God do what he has promised? Can God provide food in times of famine? Can he do that? Can he provide an income in times of unemployment? Can God take care of me in my retirement? Can God meet my needs? I mean, that's a very real, honest question that we grapple with as well. Can God provide a child when Sarah is barren? Can God keep his promise to make Abraham into a great nation and to give him descendants? Abraham was wrestling with those questions, and the answer of the text is, yes, God can. And that's why I say that these stories in Genesis are not about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others as examples that we should do exactly what they did and everything. No, we see their lives, warts and all, you know, and the Bible isn't commending all of these things to say this is what you should do. There are lessons that we can learn from their faith, but these stories are much more about God, about how big our God is, how great He is, and how He can meet our needs. And He wants us to trust Him. In this situation, the promise of God was hanging by a thread. I mean, here God had promised that through Abraham, through Sarah, He was going to bring this son This seed of Abraham who would be the savior of the world and now Sarah is with Pharaoh? How's God going to do that? The situation was beyond anything that Abraham could fix. No plan of his was going to solve this situation. God must intervene to protect Sarah and that is exactly what God did. Look at verses 17 through 20. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh, and Pharaoh got the point. Pharaoh understood what this was about. Through his wise men, and through probably investigating the matter a little bit more, he found out that Sarah was really Abraham's wife, And here you have this ironic situation of a pagan king rebuking Abraham, the man of God, for his lying and his deception. It's not the way that it should be, but, you know, sadly, sometimes that's the way it is in the world. Sometimes the non-believer may be living a more moral life than the believer who is not walking with God. And it shouldn't be that way, but you can see sometimes that kind of behavior. And so here's this pagan king again, rebuking Abraham for what he has done. But God was demonstrating his power in this situation, and that he protected Sarah, and he protected his promise. To Abraham's credit, he would return to Bethel in the land of Canaan, And there he would worship God once again. What do we do when we fall? When we sin and we stumble and we fall, what should we do? Confess it to God, repent of our sin, get back up, and walk with God. We come back to him. Our God is bigger than our problems. One of the pastors that I enjoyed listening to for many years was an African-American pastor evie hill Uh, evie hill pastored in los angeles in the watts area he died in 2003 and some of the men in our church i know you heard him at the promise keeper gatherings you know he was just a very very good preacher and speaker he grew up in deep poverty in texas a little two-room cabin with his mother and family Uh, He was from a very poor family there in Texas. And when he graduated from high school, even that was a significant accomplishment. Most of his peers, uh, other uh, blacks his age, hardly made it past 10th grade. He graduated from high school. His mom wanted him to go to college. And when people in his town heard that, they laughed at him. There's no way you're going to go to college. There's nobody that's going to accept you. But his mom paid for a bus ticket, gave him five dollars. It was all that she had and she sent him off with these words, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. So he got on the bus with his suitcase that was held together with a rope around it. I mean that's kind of how poor he was. He had all his stuff in there and had this ragtag suitcase and he got on the bus he admitted, he said, I splurged along the way a little bit, so by the time he got to school, he only had eighty-three left. <laughs> had to get something to eat and something along the way. And tuition, that year for him, was going to be $80 in cash for that first semester. He didn't have it. And as he was standing in line in the administration building, you know, he said it was like the devil was working on my case, and he's saying, this is stupid. I mean, you, you ain't got any money. You know, they aren't going to accept you. What are you going to do? You're just going to be embarrassed. You're making a fool of yourself. You just ought to get out of this line right now and just go back home. And he's standing there, and he said, all I could hear was a voice of my mom saying, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. And so the line's getting shorter. There's three people and then two people and finally one person in front of him, and then he gets to the front of the line. And just as he got to the front of the line, a man came up, tapped him on the shoulder and said, Are you Ed Hill? And he said, Yes. He said, Have you paid yet? He said, No. And the man said, Well, I want to tell you that we have a full scholarship for you for four years that will pay your tuition, your books, your room and board, and even give you a little spending money besides. He said, you know, I did not have the faith that my mom had. My mom was trusting God, and I was trusting in her. And that day, Ed Hill, Evie Hill, learned a tremendous lesson that God is bigger than our problems and that he answers faithful, believing prayer. So how do we learn to trust God more? How do we learn? How do we grow in our faith? Well, let me give you these suggestions. Number one, get to know Him well. Get to know Him well. It is hard to trust someone you don't know. You know, I, I meet people who say that they are a believer in Christ, never read their Bible. And I go, how do you get to know the Lord if you don't read your Bible? I mean, it's really through the Scriptures and through these stories of faith that we come to know who God is and about His might and power and about His faithfulness so that we can trust Him. We get to know somebody well when we talk to them through the day, and so we are to pray. We need to pray, and when we pray, you know, we ask God for things. And maybe you start with small things, and then you ask God for bigger things as we begin to grow. Dawson Trotman, who was the founder of The Navigator, just a tremendous disciple-maker, So there was a point in my life where I prayed and I asked God for one soul, one person to come to know Christ. That's all I had the faith to believe. God, could you use me to bring one person to Christ? And then he prayed for ten, and then he prayed for a hundred, and then he prayed for thousands. And God used him. And I would say thirdly, step out in faith. When God reveals his will, obey it, do it. When God speaks to you through His Word, obey and follow what He has said. You see, our faith grows as we use it. It's like a muscle that needs to be exercised. And the more we use it, the more we walk by faith, the more we trust Him, the more our faith grows and we can believe God for bigger things. That's what was happening in the life of Abraham. And that's what needs to happen in our life well. And sometimes we learn big lessons from our failures and if we'll get up and repent of our sin and turn and walk with God we will grow so what are the challenges facing you today I want to encourage you to bring those to God in prayer and lay them at his feet and listen to what he's going to say to you and sometimes the answer might be wait and trust me Abraham had to wait 25 years for the birth of the son who would be that child of promise Sometimes the answers come quickly, but sometimes we need to wait. Can we trust God in the process? Let's pray. Father, the psalmist said, oh, how I love your word. It's our delight. It speaks to life, to things that we are facing right now, today. And you know where we all are at. Challenges that we face, or questions we have, maybe struggles going on, or circumstances that aren't what we expected either. Father, I pray that we would all grow in faith. That when the way is hard, we look to you, and we would patiently wait for you to act, or give the direction, or guidance, or provision that we need. And Father, when we see you work in our life, help us to be a people that give you praise and thanks and the glory and honor that you deserve. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.